It's that time again. Hello. Welcome to Live and Let's Discuss. I'm Jeremy. I'm Noah. And we're talking about Tomorrow Never Dies, also known as Forever and a Death. But we're probably not going to talk about that too much because I think it needs its own episode. But um, Tomorrow Never Dies is an interesting one because it was a lot of things before it became what it ultimately became. Um, At first, it was going to be about the the British giving Hong Kong back to to the People's Republic of China. That was scrapped because they thought that was going to be way too dated which i i don't know that might have been an interesting bond film even compared to what we get after this i would have preferred that uh but what we do get is an interesting uh bond villain that deals with the media and it is really like a look at the 24-hour news cycle when it was first really becoming a thing, which it's still a thing. This is the probably the most relevant of all Brosnan's films. I mean, world's not enough. We still have an oil thing. Hmm. Um, but die another day looking at you. I mean, we can agree tomorrow never dies, more so than Golden Eye. Feels like the beginning of a new era. Yes. And it feels like Brosnan's uh, really stepping into the Bond mantle. He's really getting more comfortable with it. Um, but this this one's interesting. It feels like a remake of Spy Who Loved Me. Uh, with uh, the Bond girl being part of... Uh, the Chinese uh, secret service and uh, just like, it's a threat to everyone basically. Uh, But yeah, you want to take over? Sure. Uh, Let me think. Where do we begin with this one? Really? Well, we can begin with uh, the beginning when they just decide that Bond's not going to smoke anymore. Oh yeah. They decide that he, he will smoke again. Which is, yeah, yeah. But that is like the only change to Bond's character that I stuck with all the way through the Craig era. Except for Die Another Day. Obviously, he has to, he had to smoke in that one. It's a and we'll talk about that when we, we talk about Die Another Day. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the opening is basically kind of a self-contained little adventure. Except for one of the terrorists in the film comes back. And is yeah. working with our, our main villain. Not necessarily in the book. They kind of leave that vague. Mm-hmm. From what I remember. I could be wrong. We both read this last year. Um, for paper movies. So if you want our opinions more on that book. You can check out the paper movies episode. We did not have time to read that again. Mm-hmm. But I mean. I remember the best thing about the book. Being expanding on the bad guy. And his backstory. Yeah, and the henchman. And the henchman, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Bond's uh, 
infiltrated this like arms deal, this big flea market for terrorists, I think is what they call it. And M's showing that even though she's a woman, she knows what she's talking about. So mm-hmm. it, it it's a dual serving sort of sequence. And Bond ends up stealing a plane that has a nuke on it. It's about to get hit with a missile from an aircraft carrier. And it's overall, it feels a lot like the GoldenEye sequence mm-hmm. from the beginning of that, but better. It, it's more enjoyable. It's more, it's just more fun. Yeah. Not, not at, I will say it's not as fun as when Roger Moore steals the plane in Octopussy. But that's just plain goofy hijinks from the Moore era that we, we love. This is more action packed. This is more 90s. More things are blowing up. That's the thing with these Brosnan movies. More things blow up in them. Yeah. Bro- Brosnan's Bond is a one man army. Mm-hmm. Until Daniel Craig carries an AK 47 around in one arm and just flings it around shooting people and not aiming. Let's just say Pierce Brosnan's a more accurate one-man army, which was very much the 90s. These these feel like the 90s pretty mm-hmm. hard until we get to die another day. Which absolutely has the feel of the early 2000s. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> it's a fun sequence. Uh, we then cut to a British... Battle? Is it a battleship? I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's a, it's a British naval ship. Is been is lost in China's off the coast of Vietnam, and the Chinese air force are flying over it, and a stealth boat blows up one of the uh, blows up the British ship. The British ship fires and shoots at one of the Chinese planes. Noah's looking at me very, very puzzled. I'm, I'm trying to remember. Sorry, I watched these last three Bond Brosnan movies back to back to back. Oh my gosh. So I'm trying not to mix them up right now, even though this one's probably my favorite. It's been so long since I've seen any of these. Bear with me. So he, so both the the sh- British ship is sunk, and one of the planes is destroyed, thus causing conflict in the South China Sea. And we find out that our Bond villain is doing this so that he can report the news first. And he has his own twenty-four hour news cycle where he's convincing all these people to do just nefarious things on an early version of Skype. Like selling people uh, software that uh, that has so many bugs that they'll have to continuously update and pay more money for, which is my favorite one of all of these. That made me laugh so hard. Um, or that they're blackmailing the president of the United States because he hooked up with a cheerleader, and they're going to release the sex tape anyway. Like just evil Bond things, but for a modern era. And it is so goofy, but I, I just love it. I just love it. He's just awful from the beginning. But in the book, yeah. we get his backstory 
if we get a tiny bit of in the movie where he started at a paper in Hong Kong. And that's how he built his um, media empire. But we get more of it in the, the book where he really feels like a Fleming Bond villain. Raymond Benson. We haven't talked about Raymond Benson too much on this channel except for the short story he wrote for Playboy. The sequel to You Only Live Twice. Um, but Benson, I think, is a lot better in a lot of ways than John Gardner. Yes, just based on his uh, novelizations, definitely. Uh, he got the Fleming thing down enough. He does his own thing mm -hmm. with it, which I don't agree with all of it because he switches Bond back to the PPK twice in his books. Although he does rectify it both times. He does switch Bond back to the PPK. And... I think part of that had to do with he had a directive to write Bond more like the Brosnan Bond. So all of his books are kind of focused more on that than the Fleming stuff, but he does tie into the Fleming stuff enough. Mm -hmm. um, but we get the the backstory of, I can't remember his name, I want to call him Milton Crest. That's my default for Bond villain. I can't remember his name. Or, or... The main bon Bond villain here. Yeah. Elliot Carver. Elliot Carver, also known as Evil... What's his name? Evil you Steve mean, like, Jobs. Steve Jobs. Back when... Or Evil Bill Gates. He wants to... He has this whole satellite network and he's going to control basically... All the wars ever. That's, that's kind of what he wants to do. He's mm. going to start his own wars and he's going to cover them and make a bunch of money. Which I found funny because in the novelization, he mentions, oh, a war between Russia and the Ukraine. Yes. They're quite prophetic indeed. And uh, a war between the US and Iraq. Hmm. Or Afghanistan, one of the two, which did happen. Yeah, that that's wild. Um, we're going to diverge into the novelization a little bit because there's a great scene that's not in the film, which is the introduction of Wei Lin, where she's talking to her boss in a sort of similar situation to how Bond and M talk. Yeah. Which feels very Spy Who Loved Me. Absolutely. And she's looking into the Elliot Carver thing as well, because there's a general that's corrupt that's kind of helping Carver out a little bit, although he's barely in either of these. Mm -hmm. And there's like a whole sequence where she goes undercover that I'm not going to spoil. You should really check out this novelization, because it's probably one of the better Bond novelizations. Mm-hmm. Especially after I just read all the Benson stuff. This is probably the best of Benson's work. You're right. Even though the other two are worth your time as well. Even Die Another Day is worth your time to read. Mainly because yeah. it's deeply strange. Deeply strange <laughs> novel. Anyway, Bond is sent to Germany. 
which is he gets the lamest of the Bond cars, I think, ever. I don't even remember the car. It's a, it's, oh, a BMW it's a self-driving sedan. Yeah, and it looks it, just like... It looks like a standard BMW. I mean, BMWs are nice to drive when they're new, but if you're any sort of American, you understand the struggles of when you buy a BMW and they just fall apart. And because they're an import car, they're really expensive to maintain. You have to take it to a BMW specialist. I I, I could go on a rant forever about BMWs because I, I do not care for them. Unless you live in Germany, unless you live where Noah is, like you can buy a BMW then because it's probably cheaper <laughs> to maintain. It, it's just not, it, it's a money pit. All those like foreign cars, it's like, um, I, I honestly, I'm a little, I do like Mercedes. I would rather drive a Mercedes. I think they're a little better built than BMWs. But heck, uh, Toyota, the Supra, their sports car, is a BMW. It's a BMW engine. So don't buy that either. I, I'm, I'm going to give you car advice on Live and Let's Discuss. If you're an American, don't buy a BMW unless you have a lot of money you want to throw at it. And do not buy them used. You got you to gotta buy them new. You'll get some mileage out of it before everything falls apart, starting with the computers. Anyway, yeah, I, I don't like this BMW. This is like the lamest mm. of the Bond cars because, like, I didn't mind. I think I complained about the one in Goldeneye too, but that one's a lot better. That one feels like a Bond car. And then in the next movie, World's Not Enough, they also have a BMW. Mm. That's probably my favorite of them because it looks more modern. These ones, it's just like there's something about the 90s car where. The 90s had some of the ugliest cars ever. Like it was, they were trying to find their footing between what would be like the mid 2000s vehicles and like 80s vehicles. And so they're like a hybrid of the two and they're boxy and funky. Not all of them are like that. Like I'm the Miata looks st nice still. Like the, the 90s Miatas, they, they look modern enough, you know? But it just it just looks dated. And this is like when I complained about the Lotus Wet Nelly, which I, I genuinely think is an ugly car. Mm -hmm. And I like Lotuses. Don't buy a Lotus. Don't don't buy a Lotus either. You will go bankrupt. It's like a hundred dollar car. But I would agree it doesn't look like a bond car. <clears throat> and I guess the coolest thing about it is just like the self-driving gimmick. Yeah. They do cool things with it, but it just, and I know why it's a sedan because he has to jump into the back seat and they need the the window to go down all the way. So it had to be a four door sedan to do that. Cause I was really wondering why, cause we're both, uh, we both watch a uh, Dutch bond fan, I think is the YouTube channel. That's mm -hmm. actually, we found out that we, on a live stream that we were both fans of that YouTube channel. And he talked about like how lame this car was because I didn't even remember it because the, the one like car chase I remember is a motorcycle chase near the end, which is the more iconic scene when they're in uh, Vietnam, when they're in Saigon. Um, 
which you wouldn't even know that they were there. That's the thing. We need to get into a complaint I have with this movie because this is my favorite Brosnan movie, but it has, I have some caveats when I say that. None of the locations feel like they're on location. Yes. And I think personally, that's a problem for me with most of the Brosnan movies where it's like the locations feel kind of like incidental. I don't. This one's the worst about it, though. Yes, and I want to specifically point out Germany. Because yes, this is one I, was of getting, like, I was getting there. Yeah. Germany doesn't feel like Germany, being someone who's actually been to Germany. Noah lives in Germany. Like, yeah. It doesn't feel like it at all. Because uh, I was thinking of Trigger Mortis, the Anthony Howowitz Bond book. That feels like... They're in Nuremberg in that, and it feels like Nuremberg. Yeah, and in this one, all I remember, because I was hyped for this, watching it the first time, mm-hmm. uh, because I think only Octopussy and this one like uh, take place in Germany. And that feels like it's in Germany near the end. Oh, definitely. I mean, mainly because you also see like, the Nuremberg uh, license plates. Yes. <laughs> but this one, it's like the locations I remember. I remember the self-driving car payoff in the parking mm-hmm. garage. That's most of Germany we see, by the way. The glorious parking garage. And then there's like the Carver Media building. Which is a cool sort of set, I guess. I guess. But I'm like, they show it like from the outside. And I'm like, if you didn't tell me this was Germany, they they could have filmed this in like London or like anywhere. It's just like a modern... They probably did. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think the credit set filmed on location in Germany. Huh. And if that's the case... I mean, I don't know. They must have cut cut a lot of stuff out because I wouldn't be able yeah. to tell. I don't know. I know that there's a lot of stuff cut out of Die Another Day hmm. that made it into the novelization. But uh, I want to point out something from the novelization of Tomorrow Never Dies that differs with this Q scene because we're getting to the end of uh, Desmond Llewellyn being Q. He gives Bond the Walther P99 in the novelization that does not happen in the film. He gets it from Waylon. Well, he actually just takes it. He just starts taking things in a scene that is very similar to the Moonraker scene from the novelization of Moonraker, where he's just going through all the gadgets. Oh yeah. That goes like on for 10 pages. Yeah. And it's like a long comedy scene. Mm Mm-hmm. I do want to talk about Elliot Carver's main henchman and how freaky and creepy he is in the novelization. Mm-hmm. And he's only mildly creepy in the film. But yes. like he's like a weird sadist and he likes to just torture people. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't he he's like the world is not enough villain where he doesn't really feel pain properly. Except he has more payoff for that gimmick. Yes. Oh, boy. I don't want to talk about World is Not Enough. We're getting there. We'll get there. I don't want to talk about it. I want to talk, just skip to Die Another Day. I have so many thoughts on that, but I have I have some thoughts on here. Um, I do love the media scene where Bond goes to the party. He meets up with, I guess he dated Elliot Carver's wife. Although that's just not set up well in the film. Yeah. I think the original idea was let's bring back the Bond girl from Goldeneye, mm-hmm. but that didn't happen. 
and yeah, it's I don't really like that in the movie, and I don't think I liked it much in the book. In the movie, it's more because I don't think the actress is doing a good job. Oh no, she's terrible. She's yeah, that really... was. I think she was part of like the '90s Brosnan stunt casting. Ah, uh, that that would make more sense. <laughs> um, I mean, Denise Richards in the next one. I I I have things to discuss with that and why she was cast mm. um, or Madonna's cameo and Die Another Day or just Halle Berry honest I have thoughts on that I have thoughts on that that we'll save for that episode I have so many things that I have to save for other episodes this is what happens when I just pile everything on and we just record it once mm-hmm. but that that's a whole fun sequence with Bond fight. It gets hit with a bat and then beats everyone up. And he hits someone with an ashtray, just signifying that he's done with smoking. Love that. That would have been more subtle if that was like the only thing. Yeah, but you know, I do think that the joke in the beginning is pretty funny. Yeah. Okay. Kicks that's a man in the face. Filthy habit. Mm-hmm. And only Brosnan could pull that off, and it'd be anywhere funny, because he, he moves around more than Roger, because it's like, it's almost a Roger Moore joke. Roger oh, yeah. Moore didn't move around as much as Brosnan does. Especially so it would have been like films. a laser beam out of the watch, <laughs> or something, it'd be some sort of gadget. But uh, we get the the... Elliot Carver's wife's horribly murdered. More so in the book, it's pretty horrific. Mm-hmm. Which I'll save that for you all. We meet the doctor that is this hitman that's going to kill Bond. Yeah, and he's a fun character. He is. He doesn't get enough time. I wish we could have had a, a like a pseudo sequel to Mister Wit and Mister Kid with the. With the doctor and the other henchmen, because the other henchman's a protege of him, and we just have like just explaining torture. That could have been a heinous, interesting sequence, but they wouldn't mm-hmm. put that in a movie. That's like for Colonel Sun too. There's a there's a fun sequence. We we keep talking about it with Bond remote controlling the car from his cell phone. That's also a taser. Um, also, we do find out that Wayland is a spy in the movie in a clunky way. They both uh, break into the same building, Carver building, to try to find that weird satellite thing. Mm. So they can get the coordinates to the where the actual ship went down. Yeah, and in Which, the book honestly, it has a lot of better setup. Honestly, it just doesn't feel like we're glossing over all sorts of things. But in the movie, it feels like they gloss over all that, too. Yeah. With that being said, this movie's pretty solid otherwise, but it's just a lot of glossing. Yeah, I think it's because they are trying to be like fast paced 90s action movie. Mm -hmm. But they still got the old tropes of things where Bond's got to do the investigating. Yeah, this feels 
like I've brought up this uh, comparison before, each of the Brosnan movies feels like his take on another actor's, you know, mm -hmm. main thing. Like GoldenEye was a Dalton film. This one is like his classic Connery movie. Yes. World is Not Enough is like the Lazenby Majesties. Mm -hmm. And then Diana with the Hero Chamur. Oh, yeah. And I, 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 he said that he always tried to balance his acting between Sean Connery and Roger Moore. Mm -hmm. This feels more Connery, definitely. I mean, he has his Roger Moore quips, but, you know, that I'm all for that. I'm all for that and not just miserable, crying, emo nonsense that we get mm -hmm. in modern Bond films. And he does uh, have I, pretty dark moments in here. Like, mm -hmm. I think that's like his first, like, good, I guess, yeah, first time I really liked his acting was like the scene with the doctor when he, you know, executes him. Yes. That whole sequence is great. Leads to the great chase with the, the smartphone, which looks like, Noah, you're too young for this. You would have been a little kid. PlayStation made a cell phone. In the late 2000s, it was either the late 2000s or early 2010s. It only it, it was the biggest flop I think Sony's ever made with an electronic. They basically took a PSP and they made it into a cell phone. That's what this cell phone feels like. It feels like a PlayStation phone. Yeah, it. I mean, it looks. I just look at it and I think, oh, this is so 90s. Oh yeah, well that's what all the the phones look like. My dad had a. This is so funny. I saw Tomorrow Never Dies when it first came on TV, like with Goldeneye. I saw them when they first came on cable television, and my dad had a cell phone for his work. They issued him a cell phone. He had a company phone. I'm like, Dad, does it flip open? Can you drive your car? Because they also gave him a company car, so I thought that he was a spy. <laughs> I was like four. Mm -hmm. so, <laughs> so I'm like, Dad, can, he, can you drive the car? with the cell phone <laughs> but yeah um we get to the halo drop we could get to that that's an interesting sequence that hasn't been done in a bond movie mm -hmm. with my favorite felix lighter replacement not i don't even remember his name but the villain from The Living Daylights who got recast as a good guy, which always throws me off, yeah. is back. Um, for the last time, thankfully. I can't stand this character. I'd rather have J.W. Pepper. He he was like the, the J.W. Pepper of like the modern era. But they gave up after this film. It's just like with Pepper. Mm -hmm. Two movies. That's it. But he... he basically let's bond jump out of an airplane over vietnam and then they realize they're jumping by vietnam and they have like a meltdown like everyone's sort of freaking out does he have does he have any american flags on him get it because we the vietnam war was 20 years ago at this point isn't that funny noah mm. it's not funny it's kind of awkward and embarrassing but we get the, the whole jumping from an airplane then switching to scuba and then diving to the plane where he runs into Waylon again. Only this time this doesn't feel clunky. She's not using her gadgets to escape like in the, the 
the I keep calling it the Crest Building, the Carver Building. Waylon and Bond end up getting captured by Elliot Carver. There, I did it correctly. Mm-hmm. And we have the weird attempted torture scene with the weird prodding tools for torturing the chakras where are they in vietnam or are they where are they i don't know where anyone is i think like you said the location in vietnam they could like like in ho chi minh city I think that's where Benson sets it in the book. Hmm. I keep also wanting to say Singapore, but I think that's from Die Another Day. And I'm just mixing the two up. Um, but in the movie, it just does they just don't explain really where they are ever. Or if they do, it's for like two seconds and it doesn't matter. They're in a third world country in Southeast Asia that that that's all it needs to be because that way they can destroy a slum with a helicopter <laughs> that's what it feels like that's why they're there it just feels like they were there just for that helicopter motorcycle chase but Bond and Wayland do a bunch of crazy stunts where they they jump out of a skyscraper holding on to a flag sign and they rip it and somehow it holds for two adult human beings to jump through a window and then they end up still handcuffed they're still handcuffed together Mm -hmm. they end up getting on a motorcycle together while handcuffed and driving through the streets of a slum where a helicopter is cutting everything up with its propellers, which seemed horribly dangerous for the helicopter. Just feels like they would just tip. (laughs) Just kill everyone. But it's a fun action scene. It is. It's the one I remember, and it's on a BMW motorcycle, though, which I do like BMW motorcycles. They're easier to work on. This anyway. is also when we got the first like uh, signs of the romance between Bond and Waylin. Yes. Where we have to point out, I think we both like Waylin as like action hero sidekick. Yeah, so I, um, Michelle Yu, who's uh, the who plays Waylin, is a great martial artist, mm-hmm. um, famous from the Cantonese mar- uh, martial arts scene from the eighties. Uh, same scene where Jackie Chan got his start too. She was a ballerina turned martial artist in the, the Peking Opera. Done a bunch of really great films like, I mean, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. She has the lead in that. Incredible, incredible martial artist. But I don't know if they're the best Bond couple. I don't, as partners. Yes, they are very good as like a romantic couple. I don't think that works. That Benson well. makes it work in the novelization, hmm. and it doesn't feel like it's a romance so much as they're just sexually attracted to each other, which is okay. Honestly, I'll take that over yeah. really kind of, 
it actually kind of reminds me of the last couple John Gardner books because he has like a Bond girl that sticks around for like a couple of them and like his uh, second to last one uh, Seafire it's basically like Bond and her as like direct partners both working for MI6 and you know being romantically involved and that actually worked and this is kind of similar I wish it would have leaned more in that direction Hmm. yeah um, we get the Chinese version of the Q headquarters in this which is fun it's one of my favorite things uh, where she's jumped by a bunch of goons and she ends up beating them all up except for one and then Bond punches him in the face um, this is when Bond gets the P99 I love the P99 it's such a cool gun I remember when seeing this, I'm like, that's a cool gun. They actually, we it's interesting that we're recording this. The P99 is being discontinued. And like today is like the last day you can buy a P99. Uh, Walther will no longer be manufacturing them. They've replaced it with uh, the PDP, I think is the one, the gun that replaced it, which is a, a much more modular striker fired pistol noah's eyes glaze over every time i talk about guns on here he just doesn't care i care because the ppk is a very outdated pistol that modern concealed carry has moved light years ahead of that but it's bond's gun let's look at john gardner's books he changes pistols every book. It's ridiculous. There's a whole chart on the Wikipedia page for the John Gardner Bond books, and it's just brief descriptions of explaining because John Gardner didn't like the PPK. Although he should have switched Bond to the P5 like the movies did and then forgot and switched him back and didn't say anything. But, uh, yeah. He had all sorts of different pistols, and then Benson was like, you gotta switch him back to the PPK. And then he's like, well, I'm gonna switch him back to the PPK again. And it's like, why? Why is he going back and forth with this gun? This gun that he didn't want to begin with, which is the funniest part with the PPK. Bond didn't want the PPK. He wanted his Beretta 25, which is a worse gun than the PPK. And I'm not saying the PPK is a badly made gun. It's not. It's a really nice gun, but it's just 9mm short versus 9mm Luger are very two very different things. Especially in a modern era, especially in the 90s, where we were starting to get the compact 9mm pistols were really becoming readily available. It makes sense to switch Bond to the, the P99. Whereas, like, Gardner, he was just finding all these really weird custom pistols, these weird micro nines from the 80s, which they aren't all reliable. They're just weird. We'll get to that when we talk about all the John Gardner books, which Noah's really looking forward to. Absolutely. Uh, we'll, we'll discuss that and just the amount of weaponry Bond gets switched to on a regular basis. It's like, oh, Q Branch has a new pistol for you. And Noah not having any frame of reference. It's really weird when you look at the Bond guns on like Wikipedia for Gardner. You have to pull up another tab each time because these guns are so weird. 
and they didn't make a lot of them, you have to like Google what they even looked like. Because hmm. there's some things like he has like a custom Smith and Wesson that was like cut in half. It's like the grip. One of them, it's literally like a Smith and Wesson that the FBI would carry, but shortened. And there weren't that many made because they weren't reliable. I can't remember which one. I think it's an icebreaker. Hmm. And it's only used for one book because I'm assuming he got letters saying this isn't a reliable gun and Bond shouldn't use it. Because that's why Bond got the PPK initially, which we, we did talk about in the inaugural episode of this podcast. But anyway, there is a great joke in the film that where Bond's like, you pack I type and he looks at the, the keyboard, it's in Cantonese. Or and he's like, Never mind, you type, I'll I'll pack. And he this is I think this is when he gets the Omega watches. Hmm. I think this is the first time it's the first time I noticed on our rewatch that the Omega watches, which they still use to this day with Bond movies. Because I think he's wearing a Rolex in Goldeneye. But yeah, he he picks up an Omega watch that's got some some specialty stuff on it, I guess. I don't know if he ever uses it in the movie. Can't remember. But yeah. Omega watches are really nice dive watches, uh, British dive watches that they actually use in the British Navy. So it makes sense that Bond would use an Omega watch because he's the Navy, although I don't know if they used Omega watches in World War II, but let's not really squint at that, because it's getting to the point where it's not possible for Bond to be serving in World War II at this point. Which uh, the movies don't necessarily suggest at this point, but the books still yeah, do. Because yeah, (laughs) <laughs> it was weird when Gardner just did age Bond, but it's getting weirder now that Ben Benson somewhat aged Bond, because in Blast for the Past he's older. Oh yeah, I mean by the nature of that story, he has to be in his mid sixties at least. And they ne- he never ad- addresses Bond's age ever yeah. in these novelizations. So we could assume, based on that short story, that Bond is in his 60s in the 90s. Okay, in that case, Brosnan looking good. Yeah. (laughs) And that's something I want to bring up, is Brosnan's one of the older Bonds to be cast. He was in his 40s. Hmm. Uh, I'm not sure he's quite on a Moore level. Moore was a little older. But they deliberately, because typically they want to cast someone in their 30s to play Bond, because that's how Mm -hmm. Fleming described him in Casino Royale, and that's kind of... And you can keep the actor for longer. Yes. But with Brosnan, they wanted him so badly that they they cast him, and he's... I think he was, like, early 40s in GoldenEye, and uh, I know Die Another Day, he was 49. Okay, makes sense, because you do see him, like getting older in the movies clearly but he still looks good by the end oh yeah he looks good now in his 70s yeah but that's also interesting because you don't think of him as like early 40s or something in golden eye 
No, and it's I because think he gives like he gives a performance like like I said, I think uh, a '90s like douchebag. Yeah, that that whole Mrs. Doubtfire era Brosnan, where he was like the hot commodity in Hollywood. This just feels more like a mature performance comparatively to Goldeneye. Yeah. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of his performance overall, but he does get better with each movie, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like his performance in this. I think it's a big step above where he kind of gets lost in Goldeneye mm-hmm. with the, the supporting staff. Well, mainly Sean Bean and Judy Dench really over they act all over where Brosnan would typically shine so he doesn't really get to shine too much in Goldeneye in here I think he he's he really finds his own niche which will be really carved out in the next film but yeah uh we need to get to the the end of this where Bond and Waylon, depending on which, whether it's the novelization or the the film, they end up going after the stealth ship. In the novelization, they hook up on the sandpan under a tarp, which does not happen in the movie, which literally was like they were bored and they just hooked up, which I kind of thought was funny when we were reading it for paper movies. But I was like, I don't remember that happening in the movie, and it doesn't. But we get to the big finale where we're going after Carver, and Carver gets a heinous death in this. Yeah, which I'm not the biggest fan of. Like we I'm talked about this on the paper movies episode. Um, he is like the only Bond villain where it would be more satisfying if he just gets arrested. And then we get a scene where he sees himself on TV and the news, like, exposed. Which the novelization actually tries to do. Like, Raymond Benson realized this. Because in the yeah. novelization, he also gets, like, ripped to shreds. But yeah. before that, he gets filmed. And, like, he sees himself on, like, the monitors. Mm-hmm. And, like, he tried, you know, to do that. I, I give him points for that. Yeah. And uh, we do get to kill the henchmen in a heinous way. Mm-hmm. Which he gets his foot smashed really nasty. <laughs> Even in the movie, it, it was pretty clear. The thing with the 90s, 80s and 90s, PG meant something completely different than it does now. Although I think these are PG-13, technically. Mm-hmm. Um, where you could see blood... Even Die Another Day has a, a pretty gruesome death in that. But like now you wouldn't you wouldn't see any blood at all. I mean, look at the Daniel Craig movies where he's just mowing down people in Spectre one-handed with an AK in the most lazy way possible. Just flinging the, the, the AK pistol around, just shooting everyone. Somehow people are getting hit. It's just so bad. Oh god. But it's a great action sequence for the end of this movie. Uh, World War Three is prevented, and Bond gets the girl in the end. And then, pretty... 
for the credits, we cut to the original theme song, which we skipped. Oh, over. we didn't even talk about the Bond intro in this. I knew we were forgetting something. Uh, yeah. We get. We should talk about this. The end song was supposed to be the opening song, which is called Tomorrow Never Dies, Surrender. Um, I think it got the surrender part because they asked Sheryl Crow to write a Tomorrow Never Dies song. Mm-hmm. Which is not bad, but it's also not very good either. It's really boring. Yeah. I would and say, like, the first couple of seconds are the best. Like, just the melody when it starts, and then it just... And then, then it becomes a Sheryl Crow song. Yeah. It's, if you're into Sheryl Crow stuff, you'll like it. But... And again, this is the 90s Brosnan, like... Oh, let's just get the hot people, like, the hot actors and the hot artists, so we can sell mm-hmm. more... You know, tickets and merchandise yeah. and soundtracks and stuff. Um, the whole and, and this is still is a thing today. Yeah, it's not like I said; it's not the worst song, but the the original song fits with the opening credits better. Yeah. So there's uh, you can look it up on YouTube. People have put the original song back in. And... I'm gonna assume. I think it was very late into production, so mm-hmm. I assume the credit sequence was made with that. Yes, song. because. This is one of the first big CG ones, which it looks terrible. Get used to it. Oh my god. And I remembered it looking terrible. I've never liked this one. With like the whole x-ray thing and everyone's CG. It's not as bad as like Spectres Mm. with the octopus everywhere or uh, Quantum of Solace. Just the sand. Yeah. Um, yeah, these are bad. These are really bad. We're we're now into modern credits with only one digression, which is die another day, which we'll get to that when we get to that, because that's just bizarre. Um, but yeah, don't recommend this the the song. Just listen to the end song. I can't remember who did it. Uh, Katie Lang, I think is her name. Yeah. Much better yeah, song. Feels like classic Bond. Exactly. I think it's like the last one that has the classic feeling, right? Yeah. Well, I think The World Is Not Enough by Garbage has a little bit of it. Mm. Tomorrow Never Dies. Brosnan's probably overall his best movie. It's the best Bond villain of his movies. In my opinion, probably until you get to Skyfall, the best classic Bond villain. Because hmm. I like Le Chiffre in Casino Royale, but he's definitely not a classic. In the sense of like world domination larger than life yes. character. Yeah. This is like the best one. It doesn't come off as like a a weirdo. Like in World's Not Enough, or just a, an arrogant brat, like in Tie Another Day. Yeah. He, he still feels, you know, classy. <laughs> yeah. Um, best, probably best Bond girl of all these, although they don't have a whole lot of chemistry other than. Yeah, I would say this is like weak romance, but good performance, good character. <laughs> She's tough. It's probably the best of like the because the whole thing with the Brosnan era we've talked about it before was the modern women, 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's Stephen King's era of feminism. It's feminism all around. I think this one works the best of all those. It's not Christmas Jones. Or Money Penny at the end of that another day. Oh, God. Don't remind me. No. Anyway. It's good. Have you read any Bond recently? Let's get into what you finished the Gardner era. Thank God. Yes, I did. Let's talk about that. Your overall, your top five Gardner books. Oh my god, five. Okay, so he wrote 16, just to remind the audience. Yes, 16. he wrote like the most <laughs> Bond books out of anyone. Yeah, because the pay was so good. So I read Cold, the last one. Mm-hmm. I, I read like the final. Cold Fall in America. Yeah, and it's like the third part of like the Flickr trilogy, as I call it. The last okay. three are somewhat connected. I read it in English because the German version was supposed to come out in January, but it came out like mid-December after all. But I didn't okay. want to wait. I just want to be done with it. The era, John Gardner overall, very mixed. Yeah, it was like every time he would talk, uh, Noah would talk to me about it. It was like a bad one followed by an okay one. Yeah, it's actually insane because. So we said like Raymond Benson does his own thing and his bond feels like in line with Brosnan mm-hmm. where, where it more so feels like a spin-off book series. Gardner doesn't feel like Fleming. I, that's obvious. But he also doesn't really feel like Roger Moore. But his books have like kind of Moore level silliness. Uh-huh. Well, like, I mean, I always remember what you told me about what was it, Icebreaker? Is oh, no, when, it was it was um, for special for, services. For special service. Is the, the mind control ice cream when Spectre returns? Yeah. That has been topped in, like, over-the-topness because Never Send Flowers may be the most insane Bond book I've ever read. Like, it's mm-hmm. more insane. It doesn't it's have mind-controlling ice cream. But the plot, Bond is hunting... An actor who's a serial killer, and he's that's gonna the try... one where he kills the people, the women with the hammers. Oh no, right? that that was another one. That was like God. the Russians doing that. This one is an actor who's a serial killer, and he just wants to murder random people, basically. And he's trying to murder Princess Diana at Disneyland Paris, oh. and he has like an identical twin brother, and it's like the most insane thing I've ever read. Oh jeez, that that just feels tacky because and Bond is in Disneyland. (laughs) Bond is in Disneyland, basically promoting it. He's like walking around and thinking, like he walks into the goddamn um, Star Tours thing. It literally is like a paragraph of like Bond went into the Star Tours where he met R two D two and C three PO, and (laughs) he was ready to go to to the Forest Moon of Endor. It it was a bumpy ride. Star Tours. Because Star Tours is different now. Mm-hmm. I think Star Tours has changed twice. That's the that's the old way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Star. I've actually that's the one I went on. I went on was one of the last people to go on original Star Tours before because they changed it to promote three D Phantom Menace. But you know what I love about this? Mm-hmm. I think uh, the producer Wilson whatever his name is, of the Bond movies. I think it was around Tomorrow Never Dies came out 
where he publicly like trashed Gardner for using Disneyland as a location. Raymond Benson did? Uh, no, uh, the producer of the Bond movies, Michael G. Wilson. Oh, okay. You know, uh, Barbara Broccoli's, uh, I think they're step, step siblings or something, but yeah, you yeah, know, the co producer. Uh, Albert Broccoli died because this Tomorrow Never Dies. I didn't mention this. This is uh, in memory of him. Yeah. Because Goldeneye was his uh, big final one. Yeah. Which, yeah. <laughs> It's interesting. We've immediately seen the change happen. This probably is this the most competent of like the Barbara Broccoli sort of. No, I can't say that because Casino Royale, Casino Royale, and uh, Skyfall exist. This feels the most Bond, yeah, like, classic Bond of all of them. But yeah, they're they're still good films. I just want to point that out, everyone, because like I feel like we get some hate because we just complain about how modern Bond is just bizarre and kind of terrible. But you gotta understand that there are still some good stuff to look forward to. But it is no matter what you feel about it, not the classic Bond and like the yeah, the classic formula. Bond is pretty much done now. It's done with this film because the next film we have the big change. That's when we get the the writers that still write the scripts to this day with their humongous set pieces and just overall tackiness that they just throw in. Even in the good Bond films that are coming, there are just tacky scenes that shouldn't be in there. I think of the airport scene in Casino Royale. Mm -hmm. Purvis and Wade. <sighs> Yeah. The dynamic duel. But yeah, overall, quick, Gardner, my top five yes. since you asked about it. Yes. I don't know the exact order, but Icebreaker is on there because that's like fun enough. Like that's almost <laughs> legitimately good. Um, Nobody Lives Forever is legitimately the best. That's the one where uh, Moneypenny and May get kidnapped. You know, his... Uh, Scottish like housekeeper. His, his, his maid. His maid, yeah. Uh, never send flowers because it's insane. Sea Fire is actually decent. Like it has kind of like a reboot feel to it. It's pretty good. And then Broken Claw. I think that's like the strongest villain in Gardner's run because he's not and really like good. The man like from Barbarossa. Which doesn't he consider that his favorite? Yes, he does, and I think I know why. Because Bond is like not really the main character. Like it feels like he was just shoved into another story. <laughs> I don't know. I've read his two novelizations. Those are the only two I've read. Which License to Kill was pretty enjoyable. Goldeneye was pretty mediocre. Hmm. But neither I. I I would not compare them to either Raymond Benson's three novelizations or Christopher Wood's two novelizations. They're oh, definitely wow. the weakest novelizations in the Bond franchise. Yeah. And I want to say that now that I've read all of Raymond Benson's novelizations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, any closing thoughts on Tomorrow Never Dies? Uh, best Brosnan movie. Just a good action movie, you know? Mm -hmm. 
good Bond girl, good enough performance by Brosnan. He does improve with the next one, I think, yes. considerably. Best villain. Yeah, best villain, yeah. And good henchman, like, yeah, the doctor and the blonde, tall German guy. Yes. Um, anyway, have a good one, everyone. <laughs>